0: Our holy gospel this morning comes from St. John, and and we are in the middle of a um, conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. So please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Jesus says this, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in him are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts help us to live and love like you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When you were a child, were you afraid of the dark? Did you imagine all sorts of scary things living in the dark of your closet or maybe underneath your bed? Maybe you needed a nightlight to help give light in the midst of the darkness as a bit of reassurance and comfort so that you could sleep more safely and soundly. Most of us grow out of that fear within a couple of years. As a parent, I am proud to tell you that I fight off monsters, I eat bears, I chase away bad people, and in general, I terrify any of those scary things that live in the dark. Well, at least in the eyes of my kids, and that's all that matters, right? Now, most adults no longer fear the dark, but listening to our reading today from the Gospel of John, maybe we should, shouldn't be so quick to not put that fear behind us. Certainly, we no longer imagine monsters hiding under the beds, but as adults, maybe we should look at darkness in a different way. Children are usually more trusting than adults, so what happens to us as we grow into adulthood and we suddenly begin ignoring all the true darkness Jesus in today's gospel brings out an important point about understanding light and darkness. So let's take a look at this conversation that leads Jesus up to the point that we are at in today's gospel. Now it's important to note that in the gospel of John, this theme of light and dark runs throughout the whole entire gospel, and it's introduced right in the beginning. Maybe you think back to John chapter 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We remember that John the Baptist specifically says that he came as a witness to the light We remember John the Baptist crying over and over, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I'm not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandal. And then the next time that we hear of light and of darkness comes in today's gospel where Jesus is holding this beautiful yet confusing conversation with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which is a leader of the Jewish people. And after Jesus cleansed the temple, which we talked about last week, Nicodemus becomes curious about who Jesus is. So Nicodemus approaches Jesus in the dark. Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus has to be a a teacher sent from God Because not just anybody can perform the signs and miracles that Jesus has done. And then Jesus responds to him with this like strange statement about being born from above, and it just flies straight over Nicodemus's head. He is literally now not only physically in the dark, but also mentally in the dark about what Jesus is telling him. So he asks a couple questions, and then Jesus jumps into this long speech about being born from above and about Moses and about God's love and about light and darkness. So this is where we're picking up in the middle of Jesus speaking. And as Jesus so often does in our scripture, he quotes some stuff from the Old Testament. He quotes the story or has people remember the story of Moses in the wilderness. Now, as a side note, just in case you don't know, this is a story from Numbers where the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, and there's all of these poisonous snakes that begin biting and killing off the Israelites. And so the people begin to be scared and nervous. And so Moses goes, and he prays to God, and he asks for God's help. And God answers, saying, Put a serpent on a pole, and when somebody gets bit, have them look at the serpent, and they'll live. So that helps us make sense of what Jesus is saying right now, when he says that the Son of Man is to be lifted up, and whoever believes in him, whoever looks at Jesus, will have eternal life. God did not send Jesus into the world like the snakes to poison people that were in that, like, in the story of Moses, God sends Jesus into the world to show how much God loves us. Now, with that in mind, we can now see with new eyes that Nicodemus comes in the night, in the darkness. It has this significance to it that we can better understand because we know About light and darkness. We know where Jesus is heading with this story of Moses and himself being lifted up. But it's also important to note that night, for the ancient readers, is often known as a time of unbelief and of ignorance and of temptation. So we see Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, coming in the night and the darkness to Jesus. Now he comes apparently to learn more about this character, Jesus, who's been performing all these signs. So maybe he comes at night because he didn't want any of the other Pharisees who might start to question what he's doing. Is he going to be one of the followers of Jesus as well? Maybe he doesn't want any of them to know that he's approaching Jesus, but he at least has a faithful curiosity about this Jesus character. And Nicodemus wants to know more about who he is. This is one of the things that I love about Nicodemus, a faithful curiosity. He didn't have all the answers to who Jesus was. He just showed up. He listened to Jesus, even though he might not understand it all at the time, And he did learn from Jesus as well. Isn't that what we're all called to do? Be faithfully curious? To sit at the feet of Jesus? Over the last three Sundays, we've explored different essential faith practices. Worship, serve, and give. Now today, we turn our attention to the essential faith practice of study. And I can almost feel the students in the room, when I say study, say, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh, right? We don't want to study any more than we have to in school, but this is a different type of study. You're not studying for a test. Instead, when we study our faith, when we read Scripture daily, when we practice a faithful curiosity, we gain a life of truth a life of light, and a life of seeing the world through the eyes of God. It isn't fun to live in the dark in any sort of way. It's not fun knowing, not knowing certain things. Studying Scripture, learning about your faith, they help bring light to those dark spaces. The very last verse we read from John for us today says this, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. That's why this essential faith practice is necessary for our lives. Study, not to gain the reward of, of anything, but instead to know the truth, to live in the light, so that all around us know that our deeds reflect not us, but reflect our great God. On Wednesday, I had to make a trip over to Knoxville to help my dad with a couple of things— And I knew that when he was working all day, it was going to be this perfect opportunity for me to sit down and write my sermon. So on Thursday morning, I walked down to the home office and I pulled out my computer, I pulled out my commentary, I pulled out my notes from Bible study, and my—oops, forgot to bring my Bible—of all the things that you can forget as a pastor writing a sermon, that's kind of important— And I'll say that I'm picky because you might be thinking, well, you can look it up on your phone or you can look it up on your computer. But when I'm writing a sermon, I want pages in front of me. I want to be able to turn to know what comes before and what comes after. Having the Bible right there helps me stay grounded in what I am doing. So I started looking for a Bible in the office books. And I remembered that my mom's Bible was in the drawer. So I pulled out her Bible And then I got distracted for at least an hour looking through everything that she wrote in it, that she stuck in her Bible. It was about one and a half the normal size of what that Bible should have been because of everything that went into it. She wrote down quotes that she loved in the pages and prayers, and she put sticky notes with more sayings or points when she didn't have room because she'd already written on the pages. There were some of my sermons or other sermons or articles that had been written that she wanted to keep. There were hymns and there were pieces of the bulletin that she would take home and cut out when she liked something that was in the bulletin, like a prayer or confession. When she brought a confession, she would always change all the we language to I so that when she prayed it in the presence of her study time, that that could be very centered on her. She read two different devotions, Christ in our home and the word and season. And so she would tear out the ones that she liked and she'd stick them in where they were aligned with the scripture that they went with. She even had a, a Bible family tree in her Bible that she handwrote during a time that she was reading through the Bible, trying to keep track of who went where and who was with who and how the generations worked out. It was such a beautiful testimony to her life of faith and to her love of Scripture. It was still setting an example for me of how to have a faithful curiosity. Study. It's a crucial practice for us as Christians so that we don't live in the dark, but that we walk as children in the light of God. So where do we start, right? How do we study? Is there a right or a wrong way? Well, I would say that probably the most basic practice is to find a book of the Bible and read through it. Start with a gospel, maybe. We are exploring Mark this season of Lent in our Lenten devotions, so you read through Mark. Or you start with maybe Ephesians is another one of my favorite books. It's this strong letter about the importance of being one in Christ. And it's as simple as just reading five verses a day, every day. And if that seems overwhelming, well then pick up a devotion, right? Like Christ in our home or the word in season. They're both great devotions that follow along in the church year, Join a class here at church. Get involved in men's or women's Bible study. Use one of our independent studies on our website that you'll hear more about in the coming months. And if anything, if you leave today and you don't know how to study or where to study or how to start, that's what Pastor Rhodes and I are here for. Or talk to Danny, who's our minister of adult discipleship. This is what we love. To do. We want this to be an essential faith practice for you as well. We want to help you in any way because studying God's Word is that important. Not to get something in the end, but to give of ourselves as God has so graciously given to us, as Jesus gave His very life for us. We study so that we know God's story, that we know that story in such an intimate way that God's story and our story become intertwined in a beautiful dance for all the world to see the light of God. Amen.